Good morning. It's great to be here. It's great to be here with you this morning. You know, hearing about Jade and, and um, I just love the way that you guys care for and have such a heart for your families, for your grandchildren and nieces and nephews. And I, I see that and I love that and I love being a part of that. You know, it's so great to be reunited with friends and family. I've had opportunities recently to share um, a bit of time with two of my siblings who spent a really long time overseas. And, you know, isn't it great to catch up with people? Isn't it great to be reunited with friends and family? In February 2008, I entered an exchange program. I was off to the United States. First thing I needed when I was doing that was a student visa. So that requires a trip to Auckland. So I boarded my plane off for my 9 a.m. appointment. By 9.07, I had my sticker and my stamp and everything I needed. And I had the day to kill because my flight home was at 5 o'clock. So I got to explore Auckland. I walked down to the waterfront. Uh, I actually walked up to the university, got something to eat. And after a while, I was a bit sort of fed up with walking around. And I wanted to sit somewhere nice and warm. So I went to a movie. After the movie, I headed back to the bus stop on Queen Street that I'd picked out before, and I waited for a bus to come to take me back to the airport. Five minutes later, I saw this bus round in the corner, the special colourful airport bus. Drove straight past. So I did the next one. And then as I saw the third bus come around the corner, I'd actually been waiting there for 45 minutes, and I was getting quite desperate. I actually stepped out onto the road and, and hailed the bus down. And it turned out that the bus driver had been really kind to stop because I was standing in the wrong place. And he said, hey, like, the airport bus only stops every so often. So I was on the bus traveling to the airport in Auckland traffic. I arrived at the terminal at the time that my plane was scheduled to leave. So I got out of the bus and I set off sprinting for the gate. And how often does that story quite accurately describe our attitude when it comes to sharing the life and the love of Jesus with others. So we think, oh yeah, I've got all day. I've got all week. I've got all year. You know, we we follow after our stacked schedule. We're doing all of our things. Sometimes we might go out and position ourselves, maybe with our friends and family, or maybe with our co-workers. We sort of hope that they're going to notice Like my getting to the bus stop, I think we need to become more deliberate about sharing our life um, in the love of Jesus with people. I think we need to politely and deliberately and kindly step into people's way. And that starts with an invitation. An invitation into our lives, an invitation into our home, an invitation to come and see. And I believe there is unlimited potential in an invitation. When people experience the gospel lived authentically and they hear the gospel presented authentically, they can't help but be changed by it. Whether quickly or slowly, the good news of Jesus changes people's lives. And the best news for us is that it doesn't change people's lives. It can change the life of our friends and our family and our co-workers and our neighbors The life of the gospel can change the lives of our friends and family. Amen? Can we say amen? And life is what we're about here at Lane Park Church. You know, we want to be living in purpose. 
And we've got these two great opportunities that we've heard about recently, the XLs coming and then the spring celebration. Those are great opportunities to invite people into the life um, that Jesus has and into the life of this church. On the 11th of September, we're having our spring celebration. We're just celebrating life the whole time. We have got a petting zoo or something with farm animals. It sounds interesting. Um, we've got, we're dedicating some babies. You know, it's about celebrating life. And an invitation transformed the life of Nathaniel. In the first chapter of John, Jesus is walking through the town of Bethsaida. And he comes along and he meets a guy named Philip. And he says, follow me. Philip accepts that invitation and he's stoked. He sprints off and he finds his friend Nathaniel. He's like, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel perhaps doesn't react the way maybe Philip thought. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But Philip's not deterred. He just says, come and see, come and see. And Nathaniel does come and see, and he meets Jesus. He meets the living gospel, and in a moment, his life has changed. In a moment, his life is transformed. And I think this brief story tells us three things. It tells us how to invite people, how to deliver an invitation. It tells us how that might go, and it gives us an abundance of hope. You know, when Philip encountered Jesus, he was full of excitement. He meets Jesus, and his first response is to race off and tell Nathaniel. We know that Philip must have been excited because Nathaniel came. If he had just been saying, hey, uh, guy on the street that that I've met, um, there's this Messiah guy, would you like to come and meet him? Not sure how effective that would have been, but he comes and he's, he's excited, and Nathaniel hears him and he goes. When we're delivering our invitations to our events, or even if we've hosted a party before and we want people to come along, I don't think it's too effective if I was to come up to Jesse and, and let's say that I was inviting Jesse to our spring celebration. I, hey, um, Jesse, there's this thing on and I'm going to go to it. Do you want to maybe go with me? You're busy? Oh, it's about um, life and that sort of thing. But if I was to come up to Emma and say, Emma, on the 28th of August, XL School of Performing Arts is coming. They're going to sing. They're going to dance. It's going to be awesome. We can get coffee. Do you want to come? Are you free? There we go. Perfect enthusiasm from Emma. But Philip must have been enthusiastic if he encouraged Nathaniel to come to meet Jesus. The story says how it might go. You know, people are going to have questions. Nathaniel's first question was, can anything good come from Nazareth? And we read when he meets Jesus that he wasn't making fun. It says that Jesus said to Nathanael, Here is a man in whom there is no deceit. Here is a man in whom there is no guile. So he was asking, he really wanted to know, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip didn't stand there and think, oh man, I've better think of ten good reasons why something good can come from Nazareth. He didn't stop and he wasn't discouraged by that. He just said, come and see, come and see. And I love 1 Peter 3.15, and I believe that we should have the answer for the hope that we have. 
But I just want to bring that up to give you permission not to know every answer before you get started. To be able to say, you know, to answer as best you can, but then to say, if, just to say, come, come and see. Thirdly, it gives us hope. Nathaniel's life is transformed in meeting Jesus. He's invited to follow Jesus on the second day of Jesus' ministry. He comes and he becomes one of the 12 disciples. And he makes it the whole distance. Nathaniel's only mentioned twice in the book of John. Once at the very start and once at the very end. And in chapter 21, he's out with Peter and some of the other disciples. And they're spending the night fishing. They've been trying to, and they've been doing all their fishing tactics, and they haven't caught anything. And I guess Dave must have broken, because they hear this voice from the shore. Have you caught anything? And then the Bible says that they just say, no, but I imagine maybe there was some frustration in that no, if you've been spending the whole night trying to do something. And the man on the shore says, cast your net onto the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll catch some. And they do that. They follow that instruction. Nathaniel takes up that instruction. And they let down the nets and they catch more fish than they can handle. They call the other boat over and they both start to sink. And they realize that the man that called and told them is the risen Jesus. Nathaniel starts on the second day and he carries on through. He sees all of Jesus' miracles. He is one of his intimate friends and companions. And all of that started from Philip saying, come and see. And Jesus, the man calling from shore, was the great inviter. Throughout all of the Gospels, Matthew 4, 9, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He invites us to come to him and ask. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Matthew fourteen twenty nine to Peter when Jesus is walking on the water. Come, come out onto the water. And I could go on. But the all-encompassing nature of the invitation is encapsulated in Matthew 22, in the parable of the wedding banquet. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants out, servants out to call in everybody who'd been invited. The servants went out and they said, hey, the fattened calf has been butchered. The banquet is ready. The celebration is going to be superb. But the people that were invited weren't interested. One by one, they say, oh, I've got to tend to my affairs. Oh, I've, um, I've got farming to do. And some of them even took the servants and beat them up and killed them and treated them terribly. And in verse 8 it says, The people paid no attention, so the king said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Anyone you find. So the people that are invited are the people that were invited the first time, and anyone you can find. That's pretty all-encompassing, right? And this parable is dense, and it's multi-layered and there's other things that it's talking about. It's talking about Jews and Gentiles and it's talking about salvation and judgment and those sorts of things. But when we invite people to Jesus, what are we inviting them into? We're inviting them into life. We're inviting them into forgiveness of sin. 
we're inviting them to the forgiveness that Jesus earned, that we sung about, that he earned for us on the cross. One of Jesus' invitations in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who labor and are burdened, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is there a more needed invitation in this day and age than that? So let me reframe a question from Romans 10. How would Nathaniel had met Jesus if Philip didn't invite him to come and see? How would he have? And we can reflect that onto ourselves. How will our friends and family come to know Jesus if we don't invite them to come and to see? Invitations are best offered when they're personal and when they're offered in relationship. Philip didn't go up to a stranger and, like I poorly demonstrated earlier, hey, so uh, my name's Philip, there's this Messiah, he's just over there, would you like to come and see him with me? They must have been friends. You know, how many of us, when we commute to work, get off the train, we walk, blow right by the person that's trying to advertise whatever they've got with the piece of paper? You know, that's not personal, we don't care. I, I mean, maybe sometimes we do, but often we just blow straight by. But one of my friends, my best friends who doesn't um, follow Jesus, I invited him to read a book called Reasons for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. It was a pretty heavy title. And because I had invited him, he was gracious enough to read the first few chapters of that. And I hope that we all have people in our lives that we're investing in. You know, I hope that we all have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. But I recognize that we're not always um, at that stage and some of us are much fresher in our relationships and fresher in our positions. So I want to teach you this morning 10 safe questions to ask to be able to build relationship. I hope that's okay. I hope that we can have um, a little lesson in church. I hope that there's going to be some actions as well. So hopefully um, people can sort of prepare themselves for that. But these are... Ten safe questions that you can ask to build relationship. And they start from the very start and, and they carry on. Um, but it's, it's a really cool tool that I learned at this course. And um, we learned this tool and we learned these questions. And then we were fired straight off into Westfield, Manukau to go and have conversations with people that we didn't know. And we had the additional um, goal of praying a 10-second prayer for people. And I was so impacted by this exercise because over the lunchtime hour... 75 people had conversations with Christians who were interested in them and who were listening and who were deeply cared about who they were. And 35 people were prayed for by people that chose to take their lunchtime out. I was impacted by that. That was really powerful. So I, this is, this is like a, um, this is for the visual people that have a visual memory. There's going to be some, um, kinesthetic elements so that people can remember, um, and I just found it so good just to have this stack of questions sitting there in my mind um, when I was meeting these people because I didn't have to be like, oh, no, like after I've asked something, what am I going to go for next? You know, I don't want to assume stuff about them. And I know that a lot of us are really great at relationships, but I'm pretty sure that everybody knows someone that maybe isn't and maybe that struggles, maybe people that hate small talk. This is a really great tool that you can also pass on and teach to them. So, 
So if you'll imagine with me, I'd like you to imagine an enormous nameplate. Imagine an enormous, maybe a granite nameplate. Maybe it's um, at the start of a suburb, a fancy suburb. An enormous nameplate. And on on the front of the nameplate is this beautiful big brass name. So we're starting with a huge nameplate. This is going to make sense, I promise. On the, on the very left-hand edge of this nameplate is a house. So you've got this massive nameplate, so big that you can fit a house on the very left-hand edge. On top of the house, reaching upward, is a family. The family are reaching up and they're grabbing onto an enormous clock. An enormous clock. Zooming straight out of the middle of the clock where the hands join together, that was as an aeroplane. It's just zooming out of the middle of that clock. Have we got the mental picture going? Are we, are we with? Yep, good. At the front of the aeroplane, spinning around where the propeller might be, is a tennis racket. And screwed into the front of the aeroplane, holding on the tennis racket propeller, is a light bulb. All right, so those are, those are seven safe questions. Let me explain. Let me make sense of that. And then we can go on to the next three, which, which are, enable us to get into sort of ministry areas. So the huge nameplate, tell me your name. My name is. And when we're doing that, actually listening, actually going, okay, I've got to switch on my name sort of faculties because how many of us just hear someone's name and then a minute later are, it's disappeared, it's gone somewhere else, I don't know. So a huge nameplate, tell me your name. Second thing, a house. Tell me where you live, where do you stay? Great question to ask people and maybe a great question to think about if you need to ask that sensitively. Third thing, the family, group of people up on the house. Tell me about your family. You know, there's a lot of different creative expressions of family these days. Um, they don't all fit the nuclear wife and husband and two kids model. And so tell me about your family is a great way of um, asking people and allowing them to volunteer to you the, um, what their family's like. Huge clock. What do you do with your time? Again, maybe you want to say my favorite way is like, how do you spend your weekdays? But yeah, asking people, what do they do with their time? Fifth question, fifth safe question is the airplane flying out of the middle of the clock. Where have you been? You know, the world is smaller than ever before. Where have you traveled? People love to talk about that sort of thing. Tennis racket propeller. What do you do for recreation? What do you like to do to relax? And then the light bulb screwed into the propeller. Tell me your opinion about. You know, you can throw that one in anywhere. But tell me your opinion on something. Tell me your opinion on whatever it might be. Your favorite topic. Then you can like be in the know. Alright, so back to our mental picture. We've got our plane flying along, light bulb screwed in. On top of the light bulb, it's a beautiful chicken for Christmas. It's like legs are tied up, there's garlic there, there's Joe Pringle's gorgeous chestnut gravy, uh, not gravy, um, stuffing in there. You can smell it, it's just come out of the oven. It is a beautiful chicken for Christmas. Coming up, oh, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to do a chicken, like chicken for Christmas to remember. Coming, 
coming up from the freshly cooked, freshly out of the oven chicken with its steam is a set of dreamy goalposts. So if you imagine those heat lines that you see in comics or cartoons, coming up out of those are some dreamy goalposts. And then on top of the dreamy goalposts is a cup, is a trophy. Have we got all those? I'd just like to invite you to stand so that we can practice those um, actions together and really cement that in our memory. So, and if we want to say it together, we can, but we don't have to. So we're starting off with a huge nameplate. And on the corner of the nameplate is a house. On top of the roof of the house is a family. The family are reaching up and grabbing onto an enormous clock. Out of the middle of the clock, zoom, an aeroplane. And then that's got an interesting aerodynamic. It's, it's got a tennis racket that's propelling that. Screwed into that tennis racket is a light bulb. Cooking above the light bulb is this beautiful chicken for Christmas. And coming up out of the heat and the steam of the chicken are some dreamy goalposts. Above all of that, above the goalposts, is a cup. Thank you, you guys are such, that was, oh, come on. That was such great sports. So these last three questions are ministry areas. They allow us to go below the surface to understand what people are thinking about, what they are interested in. So a chicken for Christmas is CFC, which is challenges, frustrations, and concerns. Having that in our stack of questions reminds us and allows us to be looking for opportunities to say, hey, you know, what's the most challenging thing about that? You know, your, oh, your kids are at school. Okay, like what's, what's the most frustrating thing about that? And what are you concerned about? You know, what are these, which of these things concerns you? And that allows people just to volunteer what, what's going on, what, what their heart's um, troubled by or interested in and those sorts of things. The next thing, the set of dreamy goalposts, is for dreams and goals. You know, it's so interesting to hear what people are dreaming for and what goals they're setting and what they're interested in doing. And the third thing, and perhaps like the most important thing I think in New Zealand culture, is a championship cup. And the championship cup is is the tenth question, and that's saying, hey, what have you achieved? What are you proud of? You know, there's so few opportunities in New Zealand culture for people to feel safe to actually say like, man, I'm really stoked that I did this. Oh, I've really like worked really hard on this and I'm really proud of it. You know, your project at work, you know, whatever it is. If, if ever we try and volunteer that sort of stuff, we, we immediately feel like we're not being humble and like we're being a skite or we're bragging. And so inviting someone and then listening to say, hey, you know, what's your greatest achievement this year? What's been the most satisfying thing about your year at university is a great question. And as I said, I, I saw and I experienced the power of this um, in one hour, just having chats with people that I didn't know and, and how that was such a useful tool that it was just living back there so that whenever it got awkward or it had the potential to get awkward, I could just come in with my next beautiful image that was sitting there. During my final year at university in 2010, I worked at a bowling alley. This allowed me to develop some unusual skills. I'm extremely good at untying knots and shoelaces. 
I'm sure people do that on purpose and set me challenges, but I was, I was up to those challenges. Uh, I'm pretty good at guessing shoe size from height and build. That got pretty automatic. And I got quite good at bowling. And working at a bowling alley isn't the most um, taxing job. There's times when it's busy, when we're turning the lanes over and swapping people around. It gets busy if they booked for eight people and they turn up with 30. Those things are busy. But in general, it's pretty relaxed and there's lots of menial tasks to do. And that affords a lot of time to have great conversations and to build relationship with your colleagues. And one guy I had a whole lot of time for was my manager, whose name was Ryan. We first bonded over sports, um, rugby league first, and then other sports. And then as we spent time and as I worked there, we were able to talk about the bigger issues, about faith and about church, and that was a big part of my life, so he would ask questions um, about that, and we got to chatting. And in 2010, I was at a church that was um, a big supporter of Greg Laurie's Harvest Crusade, his Harvest event that was held at the TSB Arena. And as that event was coming up, I started to talk to Ryan about it. I started to you know, bring it up as an opportunity and to work towards inviting him along. And he had questions about that, and I did my best to answer them, and that brought up questions of faith, and I did my best to answer those. And in the end, he agreed that we grabbed dinner and then would go along. He agreed that he would come and see You know, and on the night, he heard the music, he heard, like, the lights and all that sort of stuff, and he heard the authentic expression and articulation of the gospel. And I don't remember what either of those things were like. I can't remember the music, and I can't remember the message. But I do remember seeing him stand up at the end, we're up on the second story, and to walk down and to respond to the gospel. There is unlimited potential in an invitation, And I think we need to start kindly and politely putting ourselves in people's way. If we're going to see them change and if we're going to see them come to know Jesus and the life that is in Jesus. When Philip met Jesus, he was so excited that he raced off and he went straight and he told his friend Nathaniel. You know, he shared that excitement. It didn't go especially straightforward. He had some questions, but he did invite him to come and to see And that gives us so much hope because Nathaniel's life was absolutely transformed by coming and seeing. Nathaniel met the great inviter, the living gospel. And from that day, he was never the same again. And Jesus extends that same invitation to us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Invitations are best given in relationship. They're best given to people that we know and people that we've built up rapport with. And I saw this in my own life. I saw the potential of an invitation in my own life as I saw my friend um, hear the authentic gospel, communicated faithfully and creatively, and I saw that change, create a change in his life. We want to see this transformation in our friends and, fa- friends and family, amen. We, we're interested in that. And I think that begins with a come and see. As a family, we have a perfect opportunity to invite our friends and our family and our neighbors and our colleagues to come and see. We've talked about these events. These are two great things that are coming up really soon. It's not just about events. It's inviting them into our life and into our home. But we have these two great opportunities to invite them to come and see. 
on the 28th of August when XL School come and then to celebrate with us our new life with the spring celebration. So can we just take a moment now just to think about that and to ask God to and pray and consider who are three people in our life that need to know and need to know the life that is in Jesus. Let's take a moment and ask God. We know that it's going to take prayer. We know that it's going to take genuine love, relationship, and care. We know that. But I believe that as we invite people into our lives and as we invite people to come and see and into the life that is in Jesus, that we will see them transformed. We'll see them come to know their Savior. So I'd just like to pray to finish. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are the great inviter. That we are here because you invited us into the sacrifice that you made. When you gave up your life upon that cross, Lord, you did that for us so that you could invite us into freedom. You could invite us into forgiveness. You could invite us into eternal life, Lord. And we're so thankful for that. And we give you thanks and praise for that, Lord. And Father, we just lift all of these friends and people and that have been thought of. We just ask, Lord, that as, be, as all of us as a family pray for and invest in and invite our friends and our family into our lives, Lord, that they would come to know you, they would come to meet you, and they would come to know the love and the freedom that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.